Uh, tonight's scripture reading from the New Testament uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2, verses 42 through 52, and uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, 7 through 10. So I'll start with the Gospel of Luke. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And now from the book of Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, would you join me as we pray? God, we are grateful to you for your presence. We are grateful to you for your promises, for the way that you come after us, and the way that you can overcome and conquer us. And we pray you would do that now through the power of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever set out to learn something? Try to learn something. Maybe it's a new language. Maybe it's some lines in a play. Maybe it's how to dribble a basketball. Maybe it's how to swing a golf club. Maybe it's how to play an instrument. Maybe it's how to sew. Maybe it's how to learn algebra. If you've ever tried to learn something, you know it's hard. It takes effort to learn things. Wouldn't it be great to be Jesus? Because I'm sure everything was easy for him. Right? I mean, after all, he was fully God. So I'm sure potty training on the first try. Uh, When Joseph was teaching him about carpentry, it was probably just measure once and cut once. And when all the other boys and girls were trying to learn those long passages in the Bible, Jesus, I'm sure, just knew them automatically, right? Wrong. Wrong. Our passage tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. He learned obedience. He was made perfect. And yes, this raises a whole host of questions. How is it? That he can be fully God and yet grow? How is it that he's sinless yet can be made perfect? Lots of questions. We're going to hit some of them. 
But I don't want to rush to those questions and bypass, I think, the great encouragement this will be to us. Because if you struggle to grow, if you struggle with your faith, if you struggle to know God like you want to, it will encourage you greatly to know that Jesus did. That Jesus grew, just like you and I do. And I think this is maybe one of the most fascinating, at least to me, and challenging parts of the humanity of Jesus. The fact that he grew in wisdom and faith. And so that's what I want to spend our time looking at together. What does that mean? How does it look? So first of all, the fact that Jesus is growing in wisdom. We're looking at this series, The Humanity of Jesus. What it means for him to be someone made fully human. Now, as a human, if you've ever tried to be an expert in something, you know that sometimes you have to go to a place if you want to be an expert. If you want to be an expert in jazz, you should probably go to New York City. If you want to be an expert in making brisket, you should probably move to Texas. If you want to be an expert in international relations and in, in, uh, politics, you've got to come to D.C. In Jesus' day, if you wanted to learn the God of the Bible... You needed to go to Jerusalem. That's where the experts were. And so his family's taking the yearly trip there to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And it's a great opportunity for him. And he takes advantage of it. Now, it causes some some problems. For day one, his family's assuming he's with the relatives in the caravan going back. They find out he's not. Day two, they're searching frantically. Day three, they finally see him. And he's sitting with the teachers, the great experts of the day. And immediately, what catches our eyes, they were amazed at him, right? Amazed. And of course, we, of course they were, right? He was God. He was amazed. They were, uh, rather, they were amazed. He was amazing. And it's clear from the fact he, he knows that God is his true father. He says that. But I think we we imagine him sort of sitting there and being polite. So as the experts are doing their best to bring the knowledge, he's sort of going, oh, really? (laughs) You know, oh, I didn't know that. But that's not what the passage says. If that was our view, we will have misunderstood the main emphasis of this passage. And that was, we're told he was listening and asking questions. He was actually growing from what they were saying. And learning was a key part of the growth and preparation that God had called Jesus to do. Ask you a question. How long did, how how well rather, did Jesus need to know the truths of God for his public ministry? Well, it seems to us pretty well because God trained him for 30 years. How well did Jesus need to know the scripture and the truths of God? It seems like for a long, long time, for 30 years, for over 10,000 days, the Spirit of God worked with him and he studied, he read, he memorized. God made sure all that was in place before he would 
teach the crowds, before he would teach the disciples, before he would be criticized and have to answer criticism, before he would face the devil. So Jesus would be a model of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. All he does prospers. You fast forward to the end of the Gospel of Luke, the end of Jesus' story. And it's after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And we're told that Jesus then opens up the Hebrew Scriptures and he shows them how all of it points to him. How did he do that? Did he just sort of get resurrected and go, whoa! All of this is about me. What's more reasonable to conclude that he spent years studying. And as he did, God enlightened him. He read Genesis, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He read Moses saying there'll be a greater prophet that's raised up. He read uh, the words of David, there'll be a greater king raised up. He went to Isaiah 52 and learned about a suffering servant who would give his life to justify many. And it's as Jesus applied his human knowledge, God enlightened his mind to his identity and his story. What was it that was advanced about it? What was super? Well, we don't know, but we do know this. The Bible tells us that he studied and read for a long time. And God worked through that. In fact, I think you could make an argument if you're going to hold to what theologians call the unity of the person of Jesus Christ, that there's not any knowledge he had that could have bypassed his humanity. Somehow it interfaced with his humanity. So, God has given you a purpose in life. In fact, if you're here, you're a professing Christian. What we're told is that he has good works in advance for you to do. And these are different than the good works he's given me to do or other people. And so I would ask you, how are you preparing for those works? I mean, all of us here love to learn about stuff, you know. I mean, I'm talking about the things that are sort of effortless for us. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's just like information, news. It's effortless for you to like surf the web for hours and just read about news. Or maybe for you, it's, it's to learn the stats about your favorite baseball team. Or your favorite comic book character. Or maybe what happened during World War II. Or maybe airplanes. You just put hours into it. We need to pray that God gives us that innate love for his wisdom. God, give me as much love to know you as I do. We're learning about jazz. Learning about football. Learning about cooking. Whatever that would be. Because this isn't small potatoes, right? It's infinitely more important than our hobby knowledge. I mean, the Spirit of God isn't playing Bible trivia with us. He's teaching us the difference between the way of life and the way of death, of guilt and forgiveness, of knowing God and being known by God. 
And when it's a difficult task, take heart, because research shows the more difficult something is to learn, the more it sticks with you, the more meaningful it becomes. Jesus devoted himself to growing in wisdom. And so, for you and I, the same task is before us. But we're also told that he grew in faith, in what we might call is trusting obedience. Now, one of the misunderstandings about Jesus' faith is that it was static. That, you know, it really didn't uh, change at all. There was no growth. And yes, Jesus enjoyed unbroken approval with God the Father and unbroken love and fellowship with God the Father. This is without a doubt. Except on the cross when he voluntarily gave it up. And yet, his life circumstances were anything, anything... But flat. It wasn't like he was going through the spiritual version of Groundhog Day. And his circumstances as they changed, his spirituality, we're told that he learned obedience. What does that mean? He was being made perfect. Now, it doesn't mean that he grew from being sinful to sinless. It doesn't mean he grew from being disobedient to obedient. What it does mean is that Jesus... Obedience moved from being, from being untested to tested. That Jesus' obedience proved true through suffering. It was proved real through test. This is what it means to be made perfect. Perfect means maturing. To come to full fruition. To grow. That's what it means by perfect. But the same is true for his followers. God means to test our faith to see whether we have true faith or false faith. In fact, I think suffering is the only way that will be shown. Whether our faith is real or not. A son's father is a spiritual leader in his home and community and at church. And he deserts all of that. The faith of that son will be tested. An athlete who has incredible potential to play at the college level gets injured and that dream goes bye-bye. The faith of that athlete will be tested. A single woman prays for years for the hope of marriage, but no opportunity is shown. The faith of that woman will be tested. And as God tests that faith, he's proving whether it is conditional or unconditional. Whether our faith is just in it for the stuff, for the life that we wanted, or it's in it because our heart's affection has been captured by him and is won by him. And this is what the suffering of Jesus revealed as, I mean, by earthly terms, his life just basically fell apart. As the blood is draining from him, as the breath is being squeezed out of him, as the judgment for our sins is laid upon him, the test is, will he remain trusting God? And we find the very last words that he says, Our Father, I commit my spirit to you. He was. He was tested And because that spirit lives in the lives of believers, we can have hope. 
And it means we don't have to be afraid of suffering. We don't have to be fearful that God is going to test our faith to help us grow. I read a quote this morning that, um, well, encouraged me by a guy named Jack Miller. Meg brought it to my attention. This is what he says. In your short time on earth, don't be afraid to suffer. Die every day for Christ, wherever you are. You know who suffers most in life? The people who are determined not to suffer. The people who do not want any pain are the ones that go through the most agony. There's no place for that in Jesus. You're safe. You're in the eternal. The most high has become the lowest in order to lift you up to the heights. You're free. You and I are to be free from our fear of suffering. A second thing we observe about Jesus' growth in faith is that the little obediences serve to prepare him for the big obedience. I was listening to a podcast, and it was saying that if you're struggling to learn something, what you need to do is um, you need to, to make it shorter and smaller. Right? You got to take what you're learning and you got to put it in doable doses because our minds cannot handle a bunch of information too fast. Your brain just can't process it. So you make it smaller and you make it shorter and you can learn. Why did God have Jesus wait 30 years before starting his public ministry? Well, because he was in training, he was human. I mean, as he became fully human, he had to absorb things in time and space like you and I. It's part of what it means, right? Even as much as we want to bypass that and wish we only had to sleep three hours a day and it wouldn't affect our brains, it does. And it means everything in his life, the variance of circumstances, was contributing to that. The trauma of his childhood. The teasing, I'm sure, he got when he was a, a young boy. The financial hardship of his family. The racism he experienced as being a minority in Rome. The disdain he got for his moral convictions that he held publicly. And as you read about Jesus' public ministry, what you see is his suffering intensifies, right? As you read the Gospels, it gets worse. But what's going on? God is preparing him through all those obediences. We should not take that for granted. In some ways, as we're reading the Bible, and every single time Jesus is tested early on, there ought to be, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Through this obedience to move to the next. Of course, his temptation shows that. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus could not offer his life as a 12-year-old. He wasn't ready to. He wasn't prepared to. And God means the same for every follower of Christ. We learn that way. And and I think this does a few things for us. One, it makes those daily, small, seemingly insignificant obediences really important. You know, the the fact that you've got to be patient in line. Right? The fact that you have to work with a crazy, you know hard boss the fact that you know with your roommate or your spouse or your kids you're called upon not to be annoyed all those little obediences really mean a lot because by them you're being prepared for a greater obedience 
to come. And we know this as a, this will happen with you and I. You will be called to greater obediences. That's the trajectory of the Christian life. But it also helps us not to despise the correction and the sanctification that God brings. Both the book of Proverbs and the book of Hebrews say, listen, don't despise or don't take light what God does through suffering. How he's meaning to grow you up. Don't do that. So whether you're 11 or you're 25 or you're 40, God is training you. Are you aware of that? The prophet Jeremiah said to Israel, listen, if you're weary from running with men, how will you run with horses? If you struggle to trust God in the safety of your land, how will you handle the wilderness? The way we do it is from our daily obediences. So I would ask you, how is God training you in obedience right now? And is there a lesson he keeps bringing up again and again and again? You know, you just find like, why does he, why do I keep struggling so much with bitterness? I got a clue. Why do I struggle so much with anger? Got a clue. He's training you. He's putting the temptation before you that you might overcome it. But finally, something we observe about Jesus' growth is that it was not easy. This is one of the, the you know, dissonances we have, and I think it really does us a great disservice as we look at the life of Jesus, and what we keep in the back of our head is, yeah, but come on, he was God. Glenn, I know you're going to talk about his loneliness and his temptations and his struggles, but he was God. But this is the thing. You must know, Jesus chose not to rely upon his divine nature to fight temptation and sin. Jesus only relied upon his human nature to fight temptation and sin. That's what we see in the scripture. Theologian Bruce Ware you know, gives us a couple of analogies. He says, imagine a swimmer who is swimming across a channel or a lake and there is a boat next to them. Now, it would be wrong to say if they make it to the end, well, the reason... The swimmer made it, was, didn't drown, was because the boat was there. And that's not why they didn't drown. They didn't drown because they made it to the end. Where you have a student, and they're taking a math test, and they can use a calculator, but they don't want to use a calculator because they want to see if they can get a perfect score without it. You wouldn't say at the end, yeah, but you could have used a calculator. They chose not to. Jesus chose not to rely upon his divine nature, but struggle and suffer the way you and I have to. He chose to do that. Why? So he could be a high priest to you. So he could offer the righteousness that you need before God. I mean, just theologically, it doesn't make sense. You need righteousness before God. That righteousness just can't be God's righteousness. It has to be human righteousness that he earned through a perfect life. And although Jesus was fully God and he couldn't sin, that's not why he didn't sin. He didn't sin because he was faithful. He trusted in the promises of God and the power of the Spirit of God just as you and I are called to. 
Now again, I think a question comes to mind. Yes, but he wasn't tempted through a sinful nature. That's true. But friends, he faced far greater temptation than you and I will ever face. He may have not been tempted through his human nature, but the degree of temptation and the constancy that he faced. When the scripture says he was tempted in every way that we are, it means the range and the sum and the degree fell upon him. And he never caved. I said this a few weeks ago, but... What's noticeable about Jesus' obedience, when you and I give in to temptation, we're basically saying, Uncle, this is getting too tough. The loneliness is too tough. The needing to control my anger is too tough. And I'm going to give in. And although he was tested beyond any of us, he didn't give in. He felt the full force of it till the end. And it came as great cost. It would be so wrong for us to say, well, it was easy because we're told in Hebrews that it cost him. It exacted loud cries and tears from him. He wept for growth. He fought for faithfulness. He struggled for obedience. The garden is the case, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. What do you find? Three times he prays. He's in agony. This is the growth in wisdom and faith that the humanity of Jesus displays before us. And I hope it gives you a couple things. One, I, I hope it gives you company. I hope it makes you feel like, you know... There really is someone beside me. He really knows. He really is a high priest that understands. But more so that his victory would encourage you that you have the same resources if you should turn to God through Christ, the same resources are yours. The same ability for you to obey or at least the same resources to obey. So all of this, thinking about this, led me to a lyric to a hymn that I want to close with. And I think it's such a profound, some of you know this hymn, if you've grown up in the church, I ask the Lord that I might grow. Listen to the profundity of this thing. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self in pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. 
It's not easy to grow. But God will give us the grace to grow. Just like this. Let's pray. We are so grateful, Father, that the God had deemed that the second person of the Son of God would become fully human. And that he would show us what it means to grow with all its struggle and with all its difficulty, but with all its victory. That he made it to the end for our sake. And now as your spirit lives in us, fill us, Lord, with courage and hope. In Christ's name, amen.